0: He's pissed off What so he's thinking he's not thinking anything first thing the embalmers did was to stick a metal hook up his nose and they dragged his brain out through his nostrils why on earth would a museum put a mummy in it closer, please. I've something to tell. Ladies and gentlemen, how do you Blood and Black Rum Podcasts, and Halloween. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Colesportation.com and I'm joining my co-host, Martin. How's it going? Pretty good. We are back with our Anth Halloween series. We are uh, now five deep into these. Wow. And I think before we, we talk about what the, the film we have on the show is today, I want to do the annual check-in of Anth how you're feeling after five anthologies? How's it going? You know, we did this with Saw. We we're like, <laughs> how you feeling? <laughs> how you feeling after five saws? We did it. No, the Halloween. I think by the third one, we're like, so how you feel? Yeah. So how are you feeling after doing five anthologies? Rundown. Yeah. I think that's just the, the recording schedule that we have. Because we've been pretty busy, we did the, we've done four anthologies. We did the Phantasm two episode for Jay Movie Talk podcast. There's just a lot of podcast, ta- taxing episode in of itself. And you know what? This is not our day job. This is not something that we do, you know, all the time. This is just things that we do on our off time. So it is difficult for us sometimes to make the time to do all of the podcast episodes. And so when we get into Halloween season and Christmas season, that's when we go like full blown every week. But um, like we used to do that. We used to do every single week um, back when we were first starting out and we did like a hundred episodes straight, just like week to week to week to week to week. That's tough. It's a tough schedule. So I think that might be one of the reasons why you're feeling run down had to take a week off of work uh, this coming week to be prepared for the final stretch. The final stretch meaning your 30th birthday? <laughs> That's the final stretch? No, I meant the last couple of episodes. Gotcha. Um, with that said, though, I feel like I feel you a lot. You were lo- supposed to save that for next week. Sorry. When, it, when actually it was. <laughs> uh, I feel like with the with the anthologies, though that I feel a little bit more refreshed with each episode because it's not like you're you're watching the same type of series all the time. Really, you're getting different stories. Yeah, we you are, but they're all named tales. <laughs> um What does that have to do with anything? They all just because like, they're named tales. They all have, you know, the same same type of just like, oh, look at this goofy story. Oh, yeah, that is true. They do have that sort of feel to them. But I, I, I like that we get – we're getting different types of stories. Um, we're getting different um, opening segments each time. You know, the, the wraparound stories, we're getting a little bit different. And, and we see like the, the types of anthologies. Some just are like here's a story, here's a story, here's a story. Some are like here's a wraparound story that will like contain everything. Um, it's interesting to see how each film goes at the anthology in a different way. So I think I'm I'm going to say I'm still feeling refreshed. I'm ready, raring to go. We've got, what, three more episodes? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yes. So I, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm not worn down, but it's starting to get taxing. I think we're actually coming into some of the anthologies that we enjoy the most too. Or at least one for me that I enjoy the most which would be a blast to talk about. Uh, Some of the other ones were kind of like offshoots. We were like, you know what? We should cover those. Um, We don't necessarily love those movies, but we should cover them because they're important parts of anthology series, uh, like Twilight Zone, the movie, the one that we covered last week. That's an important anthology film. We don't necessarily love it as an anthology film, but it's something to cover historically, you know, in film context. All right. With that said, <laughs> we're talking today for our fifth anthology movie about "Tales from the Dark Side." The movie, the '90s. That's right. We're back in the we're in the '90s now. We, we and by the, in by in the '90s. We're just barely in there. We skipped from '84, '83. Was it '83? '83, I think. '84. '84. We skipped right from there there to the '90s. Yeah, right in the, right in the beginning portion of the '90s. We're um. In what, 1991, I think? 1990. 1990. Yeah, just barely. Just barely. Just grazing You it. know what's great, though, about this movie? You know how when we did it back, way back, when we did the j Booby Talk pod, uh, episode on Friday the 13th, Yep. and we were talking about how over the three films, you slowly start to see the 80s creep in. Yeah, the transition from 70s to 80s. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, the first one came out in 80, 81, and you're like, it still looks like the 70s, a right. little bit, 82. Slightly eight, a little bit more 80s, but still kind of 70s. This and by the third one, Here's smack dab in the 80s. This movie, oh no, we left the 80s. You can tell just by the way they look and the, how it's shot. Mm-hmm. Fucking but, 90s, but, but it's definitely very much centered in the 90s. Early, early 90s. Because, so obviously, Tales from the Dark Side has that moniker, the movie, you know, because there was a TV series as well. Don't get confused. The one in theaters, that's the movie version. We're not showing the TV version in theaters. Um, but the Tales from the Dark Side TV series is heavily, like, late 80s, early 90s. Very, very much so. To the point where when I'm watching it, I sometimes cringe. You are know, like, there's wood-paneled houses and <laughs> dirty-ass cityscapes. And uh, I think we get all of that in Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Like, every single... All I was missing was, like, a rap-like opening. That's true. Yeah, yeah, uh, something like like that. We even get sort of like so there's icons too. There's Debbie Harry in here. We've got, um, the guy from the lead guy from the New York Dolls, yeah, as the hitman, yeah. You've uh, and then well, so also- that's kind of, at that point, even by 1990, at least Blondie was a little bit more popular going into you know the 80s, mm-hmm. really, the New York Dolls. Yeah, you know, I I understand their importance, but it's and he it would go on to do a lot of other films and stuff, but it's just kind of funny. Debbie Harry is the one that really just because I don't really the other guy I've seen other stuff, but uh, her not so much. I was mm-hmm. kind of like, really, uh, why just randomly throw Debbie yeah. Harry in there? Yeah. Then the other thing that you've got too is you've got that very very stereotypical '90s city uh Early 90s. Aspect. Yeah, look. Um, you've got like the Seinfeldian like cityscape, uh, the taxis that are prominent, especially in that last film, um, short of the film. Um, those types of things just really scream 90s. We're, we're smack dab in it. But yeah, well, you're one, right. There's a real transition. I was going to say, one of the things that was doing it for me was when Julianne um
1: Julianne wore, Moore.
0: Yeah, it was wearing like her funeral garb. Yeah. And it had like the, she- it was like the black, and then it was like, it had the sheer like uh, uh, you know, lacy thing is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, but like on like on her arms, so negligee, like, yeah, sort of thing. It was like that's something like I've seen like you know a bunch of time, in like the early For '90s. Christian Slater's like sweater vest that he's wearing to tennis, very much like in the style of the '90s. Not something that you would see too much, and the short shorts were in as well. You know, there was a period where it was like short shorts. Then you go back to like the long baggy ass. Now shorts. I say they moved. They moved from the night. You know, great tr- way to tell the difference is it eighties or is it early nineties? Great way to tell is it's not neons anymore. It's pastels. That's right. S- still bright as fuck, but they're pastel colors right. now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so nineteen nineties we're in. Um, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie definitely. Um, came at a time where a lot of the anthologies were then become blossoming again. Um you had Creep Show and Creepshow Two already releasing um prior to this film. And uh in, in in a lot of ways, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie is sometimes considered like Creep Show three, as Tom Savini has said in the past. That it's sort of like the 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 normal follow-up to Creepshow, for one, because George Romero is part of it. Um Adapting the Stephen King story. I'm say wrote a story, didn't? Yeah. Uh, actually direct. Right, yeah, not not directing, but but it, it, in the adaptation, it's an adaptation of a Stephen King story, which is basically creep show. And so there was that whole, you know, anthologies were were big at this time, and you had Tales from the Dark Side the series. You had Tales from the Crypt the series, which was going on at the time on HBO. Um, so very big time for anthologies and tales from the dark side. The movie was a chance to capitalize on that. And, uh, in one of it, it's most, I guess I would say creative, but, uh, it's a different aspect from most anthologies that we've covered. There's only three stories in this one. Only an hour and a half long. Yeah. So there's three stories. They're about, you know, like 24 minutes a piece, basically like a tales from the dark side episode, which kind of makes you wonder. Why wasn't it just a TV show? Yeah, I mean, they they could have done – Yeah, I mean, why why decide to do a movie version of it? Because it does kind of come off as very TV movie-esque. Well, I will say to you that if you've never seen Tales from the Dark Side, the series – I have not. Then you are missing out on some serious primetime TV because when you watch a Tales from the Dark Side TV episode, you know. You're like, wow, this is a – this is a 90s TV episode. What even channel very, was it on? Huh? What channel was it even on? Uh, I believe it was on CBS actually. Oh. Yeah, CBS, yeah. Yep. So but it, but when you watch it, the production values are very low. Um it was you know it was the the lesser version of Tales from the Crypt. In pretty much every single way, you know, it did still get a lot of those same writers and directors who would work on anthology films. Um, so a lot of the big names that you can think of um, actually directed episodes of Tales from the Crypt or Tales from the Dark Side. Tom Savini being one of them directs a Halloween episode of Tales from the Crypt, uh, Dark Side. If you you're going to be doing that, in I know episode, I keep saying you? it. I keep you know what because I said Tales from the Dark Side inferior Tales from the Crypt. I'm sorry, sorry. It's the uh the watered down for television Tales from the Crypt. Cable-friendly. Because uh, HBO, you can get away with anything. You're paying for it. Do whatever. But, Tales from the Dark side, not so much. But yeah, to, uh, Tom Savini directed an episode uh, that I watched not too long ago. It was called, um, I'm not going to remember the name of it now. <laughs> so, so something like, tr- tr- something <clears throat> very generic for Halloween, like trick-or-treat or something like that. Um, but yeah. Check that out. He, it's a, it's it was a just Tom's. Siv- it was just Tom's, an episode of Tom Savini being, hello, I'm Tom Savini. It was just him sitting there eating a bag of peanuts for 25 minutes. No, it's actually a precursor to like Sam from Trick or Treat because it has a Halloween troll who comes around because you're not giving out candy on Halloween. And the Halloween troll is like playing tricks on you because you don't give out candy. And it eventually ends with the demise of an old man and it looks like he had a heart attack, but no, he was killed by the Halloween troll. Just gave that away if anybody was going to go watch it. <laughs> sorry, it. Sorry, ruined it. Ruined it for everybody. 30 years in the making. Uh, have you never seen Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, right? No. Nope. First time. Um, for me, it's the first time watching it in full. I had seen portions of it um, when I was a kid, when I was about five years old. I remember my dad playing this movie in his uh, movie uh, – we called it The Movie Place. It was a rental store. And... What's that? Yeah, VHS rental store, by the way. What is that? Yeah. Go on. They're on cassette tapes. (laughs) And you actually went there to loan them. And then you had to bring them back. And you had to have rewound them. Or else people at the TVs, at the uh, VHS store would have been very upset with you if you didn't rewind them. Be kind. Please rewind. Please rewind. That is the best part about renting a Sega game. You don't have to rewind it. That's true. Yeah. Um, and so I remember this this show this uh, series being on on the TV when my dad because my dad would play videos all the time uh, just to put them on and have people come in and stuff, which was probably risque, especially when we're talking about Tales from the Dark Side, which does have a little bit of nudity in it towards the end. Just having that play in the corner of your TV, <laughs> yeah. of your uh, video store, they had a porno in the yeah, cell, yeah, right. No, no. <laughs> but um, so he did um, he did play that, and I was there, and I remember seeing the boy in the the cell, and I was like. Whoa, that's kind of creepy. I don't I, like. I, I was envisioning myself as the boy in the cell at five years old, being <laughs> like, yeah, "I'm Matthew Lawrence. I could I could be that Matthew Lawrence." I never went on to play Sean's brother in Boy Meets Squirrel. Are you but sure it's not Jonathan Taylor Thomas? Does look a lot like Jonathan. You know they, you know, they, they have I, that 90, similarity. They do look very alike. But at but, that time, I feel like Jonathan Taylor Thomas was a little bit older than Matthew Lawrence. baby. no, he's I mean, younger he than Matthew oh, Lawrence. Oh, he's, he's long. Yeah, because yeah, um. Yeah, when the Home Improvement came on like 94, 95, it was like 6 years, old, 7 years old mm. or whatever the hell. Uh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. I was getting Ooh. my I was getting my 90s and 2000s confused. I didn't realize Home Improvement was that late in the 90s. It was like 93, 94. Mm. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah, so How uh, can you how can you forget <laughs> Home Improvement led to the greatest family feud host of all time? Yeah. Richard, Richard Carn. That's true. That is true. Also partial to Louis Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <Live>, Louis <laughs> Anderson! <laughs> kind of amazing that he got his own cartoon show, isn't it? For it kid. is weird. I, even to think about now, Life with Louis. <laughs> I just, I feel like it's a bad dream of like that it was on because I do remember it. I don't remember like anything about any episode, but I do remember. It's like that coming it was after on. Animaniacs and Blue Beetle, Life with Louie. Yeah. Said, I, I remember it as a TV show. I don't remember ever watching an episode. But yeah, Tales from the Dark Side the movie kind of scarred me for life at that at that time, and I'd never seen it again. But uh, tonight we changed all that. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take a break before we get into each of the the segments in the film. Let's talk about the beer. Well, I would say beer, but we have cider today because um. C I D R E, if you want to be fancy. Seeing as we, as you all well know, live in upstate New York, real upstate New York, you had a Rondax, and that SNL was just taking pot shots on our traditions of (laughs) picking apples in our free time. Yes, they were. For fun. Goddamn Kate McKinnon, Who, who the hell does she think she is? Have they ever been upstate? It's a blast going to pick apples. It's all we have. Right You go out there, and sometimes it could be cold and 30 degrees and rainy, sometimes it's sweltering and 80 degrees. Most of the times you go up there, the apples you're picking are terrible, but that's okay. We have fun. It's clean we have living fun doing it. good, yeah. good godly living. I love Actually, I am kind opinion. of surprised people were that really offended and pissed off by it. Were they really on Facebook? Yes, um, like I almost like I like the, I was reading the comments because I was just kind of amazed. Like, really, I, I was offended. I thought it was funny. <clears throat> I thought it was funny bec- for coming from this what we would call city folk mm-hmm. who probably haven't really been apple picking up in upstate New York. But no, I was. want well, to be honest with it. you. If I was from New York City too, or any city, and they're like, "This is what we do for fun up here." I'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, right. I mean, that's probably what they're thinking. That's that's really the this whole part of the skit is like, all city folks are quite different from those. I mean, we have we have to live like having like crappy palates. We can't just be like, you know, what I want today Greek. Have to drive like eight cities over just to like, hey, there's a Greek restaurant. It's true. You know, we live in the medium. We we settle for yeah. what we have. Yeah. So so well. I thought that was funny, but seeing as it's been getting colder than a witch's tit out there and the leaves are turning that nice autumn autumnal colors, I figure instead of doing an Oktoberfest, because I think we're kind of starting to run out of Oktoberfest in the area to try, we'll try something that's very readily available in our area, and that's hard cider. Yeah. Because ain't there just a shit ton of uh, cideries around here? We do get a lot of cider. And 1911 is probably one of the biggest local cideries that we have uh, within New York State. I think that's one that we get the most around here. Based out of Lafayette, I believe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Handcrafted in New York, it says. Yeah, yeah, Lafayette, New York. Yeah, Never been. See? No. I do see, like, uh, see them in the, like, the come to New York State, like, uh. Ads and stuff, mm. like come to New York, Upstate New York. and no, I, like, I I don't the, even know. I have any idea where it would be in Upstate New York, but well, somewhere. Yeah, you have to break out a map. I uh, will have to <laughs> <laughs> pulling it out right now. Look it up. Well, uh, what wh- we, Why would we go when we have Rogers? Well, I think one of the um, the big nineteen eleven beers that they've got right now is the uh, mean ciders. Huh? Or, yeah, ciders. Is the um, it's a apple cider donut? I think yes, right. Yes, that's that's like one of the biggest ones that they've got going on right now. Yeah, the fall cider donut. But we don't we don't have that one on the show. We no. didn't get that one. We're not basic girls. Well, you even have even had that one yet, have you? No, I have not. Because it is delightful. It tastes like you're drinking a cider donut. We're not basic boys and girls. We didn't get the the generic cider donut one. We got a different one. We wanted to be different. We wanted to be super upstate New York in the fall. That's right. Or Canadian. Well, we're close enough. Either one. (laughs) Close enough to the border. Um, And by close enough, I mean three hours away, but still, still. We so you picked up the 1911, and they call it the Master Series because this is a special craft that they do. Uh, They don't always do this one. Probably small badge. Yeah. And you picked up the Maple Bourbon Barrel Aged Premium Small Batch Hard Cider, which is a very long name. It's a very, very long name. Uh, they, I think they've even taken to abbreviating it on the can. They call it the – I got to look at this now because I know I saw it on here. The Maple Bourbon Barrel Aged. Yeah, but they also – they use a abbreviation. Yeah, MBBAHC. They've even they've even gone no, that's so far. More, no, that's more of a fucking mouthful. than... they've even gone so far as to abbreviate it. Uh, it you know, it's just a very long ass. Honestly, if there's anything they could truncate on it, instead of saying bourbon barrel, they just say it's maple bourbon. Yeah, right, right. Obviously, if it's something like a lot of things that they – because a lot of things they're like, oh, we aged it in bourbon barrels. It's just like, okay, just say it's something whatever bourbon, you know, bourbon flavored. I guess they didn't want to take the risk of thinking that they infused like a bourbon f- flavor and like an unnatural flavor to it. It's a natural flavor. It comes from the barrel. They aged it in the barrel. Whatever the case, I can say for certainty – that the, the I, beer, or the, I keep saying that. We always do beer. Yeah, you're going to be doing that Fucking with the, Christ. that and the Can't get my words cr- straight tonight. Yeah, you're- the cider <laughs> is very mapley. It's got a nice bourbon flavor to it and also cidery. And you know what that mm. means? It's extremely sweet. It's an extremely sweet cider. On their scale, and their scale goes out of six for some reason. I've never really seen a scale go out of six before. I like that instead of I like that but, instead of like the IBU scale, you got a sweetness scale. But no, I, I do like that. I just have never seen a sweetness scale on a scale of one to six. Maybe that's a standardized hard cider. I guess so. They've sweetness got a special scale, scare. Uh, but on their one to six range, and I'm assuming the one is the less sweet. And nice six dry, is like, the like most dry, extremely yeah, dry cider. Dr- yeah, very dry. Uh, this one comes in at a four point five, which surprises me because it is so sweet. That what I'm wondering f- what a six. Would. <laughs> the same thing. i Same thing. I was like, thinking. What like what the fuck could you? When you drink it, do you, do your one of your teeth fall out? after your your pancreas just seizes up and you're like yep i got diabetes yeah you know when you have something really sweet and like your jaw locks up for a second i imagine that's what a six must be like all the time you just have a sip and you're like my jaw and you're like i'm going to the dentist tomorrow that must be a six it's like oh there's my dead tooth i got a dead tooth now nice you know instant decay yeah because this 4.5 to me is extremely sweet. It's a it's very, extreme. very sweet it's, flavor. What's our first uh, big SAT word that Ryan likes to bandy about on the podcast? It's very what? I love to say it. Everybody should be able to say it in chorus. <laughs> it's very cloying. <laughs> it's a very cloying flavor. You know, we haven't. We ha- that hasn't been brought out in a while because we've stayed away from the sweet thing. That's true, yeah. But but it, it is. And I'm not saying cloying in the terms of like the maple is too much. Or the bourbon is too much. It's just the sweetness itself. It's it's not any one flavor that comes out and is like very in your face. It's I w- I would say it's definitely the maple that's very in your face. It if is, you're not a fan of maple, you will no, absolutely hate. Yeah, this. that is true. If you don't like maple, you're not going to like this at all. It's almost like as I said to you, like, and I really like because I like maple flavored things. It's kind of like sucking on like a maple candy, yeah,
1: like, like
0: a, or like a maple sugar cube. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you would get down at like. Uh, Pixel Valley Farms. It is just it's just extremely sweet, and um, I say that in a good way. I mean, I think it's a pretty good cider, um, but just you cannot drink a lot of it. It, It's very difficult, and even it takes a long time to get through one can. This is a four pack that comes in the Tallboy cans, and it's gonna take you a while to get through that sixteen ounces. It took me over two. Yeah, it's just um. I would say that this is not something that you're going to have all the time. It's a nice... I would say it would be a really good dessert, like, you know. Yeah. Like, if you were going out to the campfire on a nice fall night, and you're just going to have, like, one while you're sitting out there, perfect, like Just... just, Or, like, it's Thanksgiving, you're about to eat some, you know, ice cream and pie, maybe have a little bit of this, you know, to pair with it. Not the whole can, because you're already stuffed from all the shit you ate during Thanksgiving. But, you know... So I would say it's like a nice dessert cider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just a little much when it comes to trying to drink, you know, a lot of it. And at 6.9%, you're not going to drink a ton of it, but I will say that the alcohol content does not really seem to, it hasn't affected me as much as I thought it would at, at almost 7%. It's not as strong as I thought, although you do say that there's an alcohol taste to the end of it that, you know, becomes a little bit, um, much. After you after you swallow, there's that little bit of lingering alcohol aftertaste. Yeah, not like much, but it's it's noticeable enough to where it's kind of just like, ugh. And that's probably partly the bourbon as well. Does that And I think it's also like something that a lot of, even like, like lighter ciders, I think, have that problem too because it's just, I don't think really the alcohol pairs well with like an apple because an apple is kind of like, depending on what type of apples you're using, ha- hmm. can have very mild taste so Mm -hmm. and i will say that the bourbon itself does not seem super pronounced it's not it's a very mild flavor that's kind of overshadowed by the maple it's kind of funny too because you don't really get like it's it is more like like i said why even say bourbon barrel age because it's not like you're tasting like the bourbon barrel like the oak and smokiness to it. it's it really is kind of like very sweet maple with a hint of bourbon to Mm -hmm. it so it's not like 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 you said usually if it's like something that's Bar- bourbon barrel age you get like the, oh, I taste the smokiness and like mm. the hints of oak and such. And you don't get that in here. Yeah, not, not as much. I mean, I, I think I mostly get the maple and then just a little bit of that bourbon flavoring. Not too much. Which a, a smoked maple bourbon cider might be pretty like weird, but kind of good. Yeah. You know, like it might like be something that kind of tones down the, the over, like you'll get the maple sweetness, but it might not be nearly as pronounced and you'll get that like more, you know, bourbon barrel Mm. flavor to it yeah i will say that i think that um i'm somewhat ready to move on from oktoberfest as we get towards the end of our anthology series i saw an advertisement for a cranberry um weiss and i thought that sounded great moving into the winter time well we are out of oktoberfest season technically basically it goes from mid-september to the first I believe for yeah. a Sunday yeah. in October. So I, you know, as much as I love Oktoberfest, we've had so many of them. I'm ready to move on to those cranberry sours and some of those other wintertime, you know, nice types old of ales <laughs> bringing the holiday with a nice old, ale. maybe not an old ale. Maybe we'll get lucky. Maybe an old s- wig. Right, I do you, enjoy my old wig. Uh, well, I got fucking news for you, buddy. They ain't coming back. It better come back. It's not. You saw Sam's Fall Pack. I know. It was literally the 76, the lager. I love the Old Fezzowig. The Oktoberfest and their Cosmic Sour. Old Fezzowig If you think their winter packs going to have anything other than the 76, the Boston lager, the winter lager, and then it'll probably be like some crappy new concoction IPA, you're you're wrong. The Old Fezzowig is good and dead. The Old Fezzowig is great because when you think of somebody named Fezzowig, you think they smell like nutmeg and... Nutmeg and herbs coriander, and, yeah, coriander, and that's exactly what old Week tastes like. So. I know it's great. I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss it too. But you know what? It's gone. It's dead. If anything, they'll probably bring back like their chocolate Bach or something, mm. like something that people are kind of. Like, eh. But you know what? We still got a couple of weeks of October style beers, so we'll probably grab some ciders or can. You, can we start like a nice letter campaign to? Uh, Sam Adams and say, drop the winter lager, because nobody really likes the winter lager and just make it the old fezzle wig. Mm. Should. But I think you know we'll we'll have a couple more Oktoberfests on the show or Oktoberfest and another cider or something like that to round out our anthology series. And then we'll move on to those winter beers. That I'm super excited about. Feel nice and toasty. Mmm. Mm. Alright, let's get into uh Tales from the Dark Side the movie. So We'll start out by talking about the wraparound story that uh, Debbie Harry stars in. Deborah Harry hooked. is you so... Yes, Deborah Harry. Accurately. To, for this movie, she did not want to be known, not even as Blondie, <laughs> not even as Debbie Harry, but well, the professional bl- Deborah Harry. Well, Probably because somebody already has a sad card as Debbie Harry. That could be. That could be perfectly... <laughs> perfectly honest that that definitely could be but yeah it's it's interesting i don't really know where debbie 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 <laughs> debbie harry <laughs> i'll call her and and shoot and go right in the middle there um i don't really know where debbie harry came from in terms of like why her for this for this star. well it's not really a starring role but it is like the main role of tales from the dark side the movie just set the, the each of the three stories in motion and I don't really know where that came from, but it's an interesting story that I think would be nice on a new release, which Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, has not had. has not had a new Blu-ray release in a while, so uh, definitely something to for one of the boutique Blu-ray labels to work on, but I don't really know where it came from. Why, Debbie Heary? No one knows. I know, that's what I said. No one knows except for uh, the director and casting crew. Um, Maybe he's dating her or something. You'll be perfect in my movie. Yeah, and the director was John Harrison, by the way. Don't know I don't really know much about John Harrison, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, that wraparound story, it takes place in Debbie Harry's her uh, character's house. She's basically like a witch type thing, like a witch Hansel and Gretel type. I actually, I was that's what I was thinking, yes. And uh, she's captured Matthew Lawrence in her in a cell, and there's that first initial reveal where you see Debbie Harry. She's a very nice house lady. She's cooking. She's getting cookies ready. And then you see Matthew Lawrence in a cell in her kitchen. And you're like, what? Why is she imprisoning kids? And then you see that he has a book called Tales from the Dark Side. And at that point, you're kind of thinking like, well, maybe this kid's evil. You know, maybe he's the one that's doing all the storytelling that's causing mischief. But no, it's really just Debbie Harry wants to eat this kid. She's very hungry. That's not PC, huh? That's not PC. No, it's not. No. Um. So I I think this wraparound story is okay. I mean. In terms of setting up the stories for each of the three, it's kind of lazy. Well, where the hell did he get the book? For one thing, yeah, it's did he like have she, it she, with him? Was I it in the cell? Yeah, like, by the must bat, have, like, It must have been in the cell or she's, something. She's just like, here's some reading material <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> while you wait to be cooked. Here's some. Here's a book. You know, have at it. How did he read all of these stories in like one sitting? I don't well, know. He looks like a, a well-read child. I guess so. You know, for yeah. like an eight-year-old, he's. But. uh I would say as a framing story, and that's the word I was looking for when I was doing the anthology films prior to this. I was looking for a framing story. I found that phrase in my vocabulary now. Um, As a framing story, I feel like it's a little lazy to just have him telling stories and like, Hey, I want to tell you a story before you cook me. Um, Let me tell you a scary one that I was reading. If anything, he should have said, this here is a story of a girl. Yeah, ride a river and drown the whole world. It's a little world. early for that, I think. I know, the, the, but that's you know not in the nineties yet. But that's of the inspiration. Yeah, you know. but I think that's. I, I mean, I just do, do you agree that is that just having him read stories is a little lazy in terms of f- setting up. Why there are three stories being told? Lazy, yes, but it's not like Boris Karloff. Just I'm Boris Karloff. <laughs> no, that's true. Just being like I'm Boris. I'm going to tell you some stories. You here. know, it's obviously not, I I at this point, I'm convinced nothing's going to be good as Tom Atkinson. You know, just beating his child and wife and <laughs> popping pop open a cold one. You know, as you know this lovely, you know, heavy metal comic book style art comes to life. Mm. You know. That's so. true. Nothing will top that. I just felt like Tales from the Dark Side's setup was a little lazy in that it's basically just a kid telling three stories to a woman. And that's it. I mean, that's that's your story. And then the wraparound story being he uh makes up his own story about escaping from the cell. I would actually say too it's better than the Twilight Zone one too, because at least even though it's lazy the Twilight Zone one's like, what the fuck does that have to do anything with the Twilight Zone? True, you're just kind of like, it's oh, not you're even. Just, re- and you're just kind of yeah. like, Dan Aykroyd, and that's not even really a framing story because it's basically just two events that happen to open and close the film, but the the tales in between don't have any. I mean, there's nothing else to do with them. So yeah, I, I mean, I I guess if you're gonna have something like that, at least make it so that. You know, there's a point to it. Honestly, you know what? Okay, as the five films we reviewed so far, I'd say it's third. It's behind number one, obviously. Creep Show. Number two would be Tales from the Crypt. Mm-hmm. That's a really cool setup. Yeah. Three would be this because it's just okay. It's a bare minimum. Twilight Zone would be number four, and then number five would be Black Sabbath with Boris Karloff. Yeah, just be like, I'm Boris Karloff. I want to tell you some stories, and here's there some we go. people running around. Yeah. All right, so the first story that we get after that framing story with Debbie Harry is um, called Lot 249, and it's a story that was written by uh, Michael McDowell, who also, of note, wrote Beetlejuice. Not Malcolm McDowell? No, not Malcolm McDowell. Michael Uh, McDowell. No, wrong McDowell. Different one. Uh, Yeah, so of note, he wrote Beetlejuice, um, and he writes two of the three stories in this one, um lot 249 starts it off and this one starts a lot like the crate from creep show in that there's a mysterious crate being delivered uh <laughs> that's rather large and looks like it houses something dangerous it's not even a crate it's a lot that's true lot yeah it's, it's, a, it's a lot comes from a some sort of museum or something and of note it's delivered to Steve Buscemi who is here in a younger iteration of himself Still looking like a, a character that he would play in a Portlandia sketch in this one, um not only does he have like his slick back hair and he's you know big thick glasses, rather nerdy in this film, um he also is wearing a rather dapper uh vest fall like vest, which has some leaves scattered on the back of it. <laughs> it's a very, very stylish vest. That he's wearing. And I approve of that. I, I approve of... I approve of... Well, Christian Slater's wearing his nice, you know, white tennis outfit, very short shorts, mm. but a sweater as well. That's true. Because, you know... You never know. We, you get too high, you get too cold. If you get too high, you can take off your little He's obviously vest. not playing hard enough if he's, if he's wearing that sweater. Uh, For sure not. Yeah, if you're if if you are able to, if you if you're not sweating in a sweater, then you're just not playing tennis. I don't know what you're playing. You're basically a wall that someone's hitting the ball back to. Is Jeff Daniels wearing a sweater in The Squid and the Whale? No, because as he, he plays com- his heart out as he's competitively putting the put, beat down on Laura Linney. I think not. No. Uh, lot too if hard. anything, though, yeah. Chris, he, Chris Slater looks like, and I notice this now more after watching this than, like, previously, he's a poor man's Charlie Sheen. Mm, Consta- Constantly looks like he's passing a kidney stone. <laughs> Yeah, he's got like that, like agitated face side. Like, yeah, he's you know, got a wince you know, on like, all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, Which I don't really remember him doing that much in Heather's, but I do know from his more recent film filmography, very Up the Alley." And I, as I told you, because there's a nice scene where he puts on a leather jacket. I go, does he have it in his contract somewhere? Christian Slater needs to have a leather jacket on at least one scene. Because I feel like every film he's ever been in, he's wearing like a leather jacket for at least half the film, at least a little bit. I don't know. To Ask Christian Slater. like, Is that part of your contract? He's like, yeah, that's probably, am, yeah, man. <laughs> um, Lot 249 is uh, probably the most star-studded of the stories in this. It's in got, hindsight. Yeah. It's got Christian Slater, Julianne Moore, um, Steve Buscemi. And, you know, that's probably the most of the films. I'm trying to think of the others, and I don't really think they have anybody else that's has has popped since Tales from the Dark Side, uh, but the story involves Steve Buscemi getting this lot two forty nine into his his uh, apartment, and Christian Slater and his um, his sister's boyfriend go there to check it out. And in his uh, sister's boyfriend is kind of an asshole. He's a very rich hoity-toity asshole. Uh, also involved in some scandals like. S- his uh, sister has stolen a um, – what do they call it? A uh, Zulu fetish or something like that. Little little uh, sort of like dildo-esque looking thing and uh, also has been involved in making sure that Steve Buscemi's character was not accepted into um, Pembroke because they f- uh, actually um, cheated on a- an essay – that kind of cheated Steve Buscemi out uh, of getting yeah, in. On the, on the proposal. Yeah. So, Steve Buscemi's out for revenge, basically. And he wants revenge against Christian Slater's sister and her boyfriend and anybody who gets in his way. And so, Lot 249 is sort of that revenge. And it houses a mummy. In-Motap. Yeah. In-Motap. <laughs> basically. Uh, a very de- desiccated mummy um, that's falling apart designed by KNB, who has done all the effects work on this film. And uh, I don't know if you know, but this story is actually based on an, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle stor- short story. I didn't know that until I looked that up. Yeah. When I was looking up info for the for the movie. And yeah. I, I have not read this one. Um, don't really know much about it. I just, all I really know about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is besides the Sherlock Holmes is a uh, they had, like, a crappy USAWB show back in, like, in the 90s. Oh, yeah, they did, didn't they? Yeah. 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 I can't remember if it was, like, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's, like, Adventures or something. Something like that, yeah. And they're, like, trapped on an island. Yeah, I forgot about that. Kind of in the vein of, like, Hercules and Xenia. So I don't really know much about the, the short story that it's based on, but um, this is pretty much your straight-up revenge story. And it's kind of interesting to note that Lot 249 at the beginning sort of has like a supernatural element to it of the, with with the mummy. And then as the mummy awakens and becomes the killer, it's almost turns into a slasher because of the way it sometimes depicts the mummy, like standing in the aisles of a, you know, bookshelves and just waiting for its victim and disappear sitting there with a wire hanger. Yeah. Yeah. And then disappearing. It's almost just like, instead of being like a mystical mummy, it's like just a, any old killer. It, it be, it's it's kind of loses its supernatural element and becomes just a killer that's waiting around like in any other slasher film. Well, that this is after, takes place after Jason goes to hell, so this is mm. Jason's body. Yeah, prime uh, prime slasher. Yeah, I was just interesting because I, I thought it was going to go in a different direction, and then as I saw him as the mummy just waiting in corridors, in the the film really does not hide the mummy at all it's like very readily apparent that it's going to be the mummy who does the killing. I just thought, found it interesting that it sort of took on a slasher element rather than anything supernatural. Um, or, you know, and, and it became just a regular revenge story for Steve Buscemi to get his revenge on the others that have kind of did him wrong. Um, one thing is that, uh, Julianne Moore's raven haired or, uh, raven haired, red haired, um, demeanor in this is uh again a very hoity-toity rich lady and she doesn't get a lot to do in here um but still i i uh i think her appearance here is pretty good and i would say steve buscemi is actually really good in this role as well as playing it up as like the nerdy guy who then becomes kind of sinister towards the end of it um i think he does a pretty good job yeah no i think out of probably all the stories uh Easily, probably the best cast. Mm. Yeah, you know. yeah. Surprisingly, and and I think that at the time that was not like intentional. There was more of like a happy accent. I yeah. think cause at the time, the, who the only kind of bigger star would be Christian Slater, because mm. Steve Buscemi wasn't you know like a pop icon at the time, and Julianne Moore, you know, hadn't really. I don't think she really started you know getting. Big movies until the mid-90s. Yeah, yeah. it it just seems like that was a starting point for a lot of them. And it just worked out that they were all in the same uh, short in Tales from the Dark Side at the same time. Um, Now, some of the things that I think work really well in this short, um, I like the effects with the mummy, especially when they're digging through. The mummy, when they're like, Steve Buscemi's actually like wrist deep in his... He's like, oh, the mer- mummy, like feeling around. Mer- that's a pretty tactile little uh, segment there. I like when he ripped out the onion. He's like, oh, an onion. Yeah, he's just like, oh, an onion. He's yeah, like, oh, let's, I'm going to use that with my steak later. Mmm, you know, a nice fry, stew. Fry that up, That'd you be, know? You know what? That's like, that's like ancient onion. That's probably pretty good. Probably flavorful. Very. It's infused with human blood fermenting juices yeah <laughs> formaldehyde it's probably great i don't know if they used formaldehyde back in the well, something Egypt, similar some sort of embalming fluid yeah yeah it's um it's interesting and i like that and, and also i like that this slasher is sort of creative in that the mummy's like all i really know how to kill people is like how i was killed so i'm gonna take his brain out through his nose or I'm going to um, stuff, you full, you, know, of stuff of fl- you full of flowers and go with that. I, I do like that. It, it kind of defies belief because, like, uh, when a mummy is embalmed, they don't know what's happening to them. But apparently this mystical mummy does. Um, Imhotep does not forget. He doesn't, no. But, uh, you know, I thought it was a, I thought it, it was a pretty effective story. Um, straightforward, but creative. And I, I like that. I, I think it was a pretty good opening story for Tales from the Dark Side to really start things off. Um, now, as you say, because it's straightforward, which I agree. Here's where this movie's kind of handicapped: the way it's shot, the way it looks, and how straightforward it is. It comes straight across as this is not a film. This is a TV episode mm-hmm. or a TV movie. Yeah, that the episode very well could have been a TV episode. Uh cut cut out a little bit of the gore and you you know you you have a TV episode. And and it's actually even the gore itself is really not that explicit. Um, it's more left up to the audience to kind of imagine the gore. That's they would literally like when he, the one rich hoity-toity kid is getting his brain pulled through his nose because it's cut away. You don't see it, but you see the blood splatter. And they just have to take the blood splatter out. Mm-hmm. You know that would be like, oh, good enough for TV. That makes you know. Yeah, I mean, I think it would very much get away with just being a, an episode. But I, th- I guess too. You run that line, like we said, we were talking about with Twilight Zone, the movie, where it didn't really feel like any Twilight Zone episode. And then you have Tales from the Dark Side, which feels exactly like a Tales from the Dark Side episode. So, you know, which would you rather have? One A movie that's based on a TV series that doesn't really feel like it's, you know, TV show um, inspiration? Or would you rather have it just not feel like it at all? Or uh, feel exactly like it? I mean, I get why they did it. You get a lot more money making a fucking movie then you you know then you do just making the t v show, but mm-hmm. at the same point, if you're not gonna do anything to make it feel like it's jumped from the from the small screen to the silver screen right right go a little bit more in depth yeah, the, yeah. What, what was the point I think in the later uh shorts, they do go a little bit further with it, you know obviously the last short has nudity in it and you're not going to get that in the tales from the dark side episode on TV Um, or like the second short, which has a little bit more um, violence with the K and B effects, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, So maybe that's what they were going for, you know, and the the first one just doesn't showcase that as much. Um, With that said, I feel like the first one would probably have been a very effective tales from the dark side episode Um, because tales from the dark side was incredibly hit or miss. Like there would be episodes that were good then there would be episodes that were just blatantly garbage. Well, that's the same thing, though, even like with like the kids' version. Are You Afraid of the Dark? Right. As much as we like to be nostalgic about it, from what I remember from Are You Afraid of the Dark, as much as I loved it, there were some episodes that you're like, oh, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And there's some episodes like, this is dog shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Tales from the Dark Side is the same way. I mean, there are just some that just completely fall flat. Um, so this would have been top tier for an episode, I think. Um. All right, so the second segment is based on a Stephen King story uh, called The Cat from Hell, and it's adapted to the screen by George Romero. Again, both worked on Creepshow. Um, in, in this case, George Romero doesn't direct, but his inspiration is somewhat here um, because it tells the story of a, a guy played by William Hickey, and you probably best know him uh, from Christmas Vacation yeah me my I, stogie. I, I was going to say, I was waiting for you to be yelling that out when we were watching it. Um, but uh, he plays an old man who uh, has a pretty great um, pharmaceutical company that... Runs New Jersey. Basically has made him very rich because his drug is addictive. It's basically a psychedelic drug that people take to have then they have hallucinations then they get addicted to it and it's extremely expensive. So as um he knows the pharmaceutical game well man. He does. Yeah. <laughs> as Halston puts it in this uh it's, segment it says it's basically uh just a step up from like street crack. Street Sh- junk, street junk cuz you know it's basically you know it's who's yeah. genetic heroin basically. And actually uh William Hickey's character himself is actually hooked on it, so he just—if you watch him throughout the film, he's like popping pills consistently. Just oh, that's where they got it from, the Mangler. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. instead of uh, junk, it's antacids. That's right. But uh, William Hickey is convinced that the cat that he has in his house has been killing off everybody in the house because he's lived with two of his sisters. And they ended up dead at the cat's paws. Kind of sounds like a story that we know. What's up? like that kind of sounds like a story we know. Which one? Creep show. Yeah, with the buy cake. Yeah, you right. Didn't break me, my cake. Yeah, he does in a way. He does sound like that. Yeah, oh, because no, I'm, I meant more like the fact that he's living with like his two sisters mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the way it looks and stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. So the George Romero element that really comes to play is that when. William Hickey is telling the story about what, you know, why he thinks the cat has been murdering his sisters. It's all shot in this very bluish lighting, very which sub- is very reminiscent of Creepshow, although it's not as well done in this one. No, it's a lot cheaper. Yeah, it de- it definitely looks chintzier in this one than, than Creepshow. But it does have that element of like, you know, they're telling a flashback. So they're they're giving you that lighting to. Play up the flashbacks. I just want to know why his sisters are dra- dressed like 1920s flappers. Yeah, they were, right? Yeah. They were dressed like 1920s flappers, but they were 80 years old. Yeah. And Halston's looking like, you know, the best way I can describe it, the way he looks, he looks like the fucking husband in the Tom Petty bit video, You're So Bad. With his uh, like overly big suit and just like hair kind of flipping around and sweating the entire time. Well, that was the uh, that was the uh, look then, which you came know, the out in nineteen ninety nice, as well. So you know, fits the, right in. Giant pleated pants, like room Nipple for high, room for double. <laughs> um, so the whole the whole story really revolves around this cat who we, as the audience, we're really and, and also Halston really. For the most part, throughout William Hickey's story, we're kind of taking it at face value that William Hickey's not a fucking weirdo who's been, uh, you know, eating all of his own supply and has come up with this weird story where he can't um, accept his sister's death and he blames it all on the cat. I just love the fact that he feels the need because we're like, well, geez, how are they going to explain? Excuse me. How are they going to explain a flashback to this? And he's like, you probably think I'm mad. Well, let me tell you Why? And you think I'll probably explain. I shouldn't explain, but it's so crazy that I should explain. So let me tell you what happened. Yeah. You know? And it's just all told in flashback. Yeah. Um, but so the whole the whole event is really set in motion. And so there is an opportunity for Tales from the Dark Side to play the story up as though everybody is sort of seeing things. Like, they're, like you can't really trust the narration of it. And yeah – they, they don't. They don't do that at all. No, it's just a- <laughs> Like, right away, the cat is clearly evil, and, you know, it, it, basically, it becomes a cat and mouse game, excuse my pun, between <laughs> Halston and the cat, and they're both trying to kill each other. I just love the, the fact that uh, he offered him a hundred grand to kill the cat. Yeah. And he's just like, yeah, I've never been, never lost a hit. Never lost... Oh, he's gotten the hit done. get the hit done. Yeah, the thing with this uh, segment is that after William Hickey sort of leaves and goes away, lets Halston do his own thing. As far as the cat didn't kill him, why didn't the cat kill him? It's true. Where did he go for the day? He just just left. He's just like, I don't know. So why the fuck did he come back? Why is he always like, I'm not fucking. Yeah, (laughs) coming back, the the cat can have the house. Uh I don't care. Um, But yeah, but uh, David David Johansson's character in this, um, he has the brunt of filling the time with just random dialogue. Like I've never lost a, I've never uh, failed a hit. Um, I always get basically like things like I always get my man, uh, you know, just random. I one-off. only drink the best. It's always the rich people who have the poor, they you know, they're black velvet. Yeah. So this is one of those stories with the adaptation. And I, again, I have not read Stephen King's short story about this, the cat from hell, But this is one that I feel doesn't necessarily translate well to film because you've got to fill the empty spaces of action scenes with Halston hunting the cat with some sort of dialogue because, you know, you're watching the film. You want to have, you know, speech as well. And so Romero is filling it with Halston randomly talking to himself at every turn. And it just doesn't work as well as when you read, if you were reading something like this and it would all be internal thought processes that Halston has. I think it could have worked out fine if he wasn't like talking constantly to himself. I think what makes it even worse is the whole first person, uh, the POV shots from the cat's perspective. That's (laughs) the one where it looks like it's a Cyclops cat because it's only got like one the fish eyed purple, you know, color. That's just so like fucking stupid. Yeah. And hilarious. Yeah, they it's- do. Yeah, it is really interesting that they make it as one circular view of the purple with, um like, a shadow around the outskirts of it. Mm. Um, Because, like, yeah, the cat has two eyes, right? So you would expect it to be, like, you know, a double vision sort of thing where you see the actual two eyes from that perspective. But this really makes it look like the cat is a cyclops. <laughs> That seeing in black and white. So, I, think, like, I think it would have, like, like, I just think all those shots are unnecessary. I think it would have been better just to see, like, kind of like the cat and mouse game and just have it be, like, a silent, like, stalking and just constantly trying, like, you know, and then getting one up or something. I think they weren't um, – they just weren't confident in having no speech whatsoever during those sequences. You know, a lot of times now – Contemporarily, we're more open to seeing films that have long stretches of silence. But I remember when Castaway came out and somebody was like going around saying, there's fucking 15 minutes of silence at the beginning of this film. That's like the best part about There Will Be Blood. The first like 20 minutes. right? N- nothing. And, but- and I guess maybe at the time it wasn't well accepted or it was experimental. Well, especially so you because have- coming from the TV realm – where it's like, right. you gotta have, constantly like have like dialogue. Yeah. Like, like a, you know, and, and I guess maybe they just weren't, they weren't confident in not having dialogue in those scenes. So they, they kind of shoehorn in dialogue to make Halston say just random things, talk about his whiskey, talk about having the best. And it's, 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 it's it feels really unnecessary to us. Um, but maybe for whatever reason, they felt like a, a, an audience at the time. We could not handle just having silent, you know, cat and mouse activity going on. I don't know. Yeah, but they've, they've done, like, before, like, you know, like, shots of people doing things and then, like, having, like, we hear their internal thoughts and then not actually vocalizing, but we hear it. Mm. I, I think, again, like, they just, I don't think enough thought was put into it. Like I said, because for a TV show, it totally makes sense where, like, the attitude is, well, we got to have dialogue t v show gotta keep keep their viewer you know focused in Engage. we don't want them flipping, we don't want them flipping the channel we gotta have them you know engaged mm-hmm. in what's going on so yeah, we're yeah. a film you don't have to do that i mean i think this this film sits squarely kind of tongue in cheek as well I don't know. if It's supposed to be taken c- completely seriously. No, the cat fucking goes crawls inside somebody and then hulks out. But honestly, K and B effects did a br- pretty good job with the actual effects work of having the cat crawl in to his his mouth and then crawl around in his body. I, I like that. I think it's pretty good. It reminds me of watching a cat go around in one of those like plastic tunnels <laughs> that they go into, like the crinkle He's, tunnels. He really ate that pussy, didn't he? Yeah. Oh. I mm-hmm. think they did a pretty good job with it, though. I mean, especially for the time, they did a good job with the effects and making. You know, uh, at least for the most part, there's the occasional scene where the cat looks fake. Uh, you know, it's like <laughs> they got like a little I, every little, time, like we can tell it's like the fake cat. All I can think of is like it's just I just want to hear Nick Bakay's voice. Just want to hear Nick Bakay's voice. Yeah. <laughs> but other <laughs> than S- that. I mean, I I think they did a pretty good job with the effects, especially, and I I think that that reveal at the end is is kind of good. I mean, I, I I don't mind it, but again, this is another really simple setup that, that would have been fine as a TV episode. Yeah, yeah, maybe I, not nowhere near as good as the first one, but it would have been a suit like a. Yeah. You know, Is your you, mileage will vary like if you find that one to be enjoyable or yeah. unenjoyable. Yeah. As a TV episode. I I definitely think it's a little bit more tongue in cheek than that first episode of the of, of this segment. Um I think it it's it's an okay short in this film, but you know, definitely nowhere near the level of um interest that the first segment has. And again, I think the acting is, like, like just like with the first one, I think it's fine. I think it is, you know, very enjoyable. I think they do a good job with what they're given. But I think overall, the premise and then, like, it's fine for it to be, like, a weird, like, t- like you said, tongue-in-cheek premise. But I just don't think it's executed well enough to where it's like, oh, that you know, that was funny. Or, like, oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I think they could have done a little bit more with it. All right. And on to the final segment in this movie, we have, um, a love story. And I honestly don't know the, um, I got to look up the the title of this segment because I honestly don't know it. Um, lover's vow or something. Yeah. Lover's vow. That's what that, that's what it's called. Um, this one is, again, written by Michael McDowell, um, and it follows an artist uh, who inc- it has, is having a bad time as an artist. He's not selling any of his work. His agent is basically throwing him out on the curb. He's in a bar, and eventually he encounters a gargoyle-like creature who scratches him up and then says never speak of me again after he takes someone's head off yeah 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 kills one guy but the other guy he's like yeah, what reason what? why did the gargoyle do it no idea he just yeah. did it he just did it He lopped just him right off felt like <laughs> felt like well not only the head but his arm as well he just cut, cuts his cuts his hand off cuts his head off he's like yeah fuck that guy. Yeah, fuck that I don't like that guy. But you know what? I'm going to let you live as long as you don't speak my name or get, show anybody my visage ever again. The gargoyle talking is like the most hilarious thing. It's actually it looks so fucking just like yeah, awful. It's poorly done and also very difficult to to kind <laughs> of decipher. I don't know if it was the version that we watched or you know if that was relevant to the film when it released but the the actual speech is hard to make out i partly because you can't there's no like lips to put it to so it, cuz it's just a like a Flapping gargoyle jaw yes. <laughs> yeah <laughs> going up and down um the gargoyle design should have been left to the dark like you know like they should have they should have kept the gargoyle shadowed because the, when it's the gargoyle so, steps like, out it's puppet very, and rubbery yeah. like you know like it's very much like a Jim Henson sort of creation <laughs> you know like a
1: you know it's time
0: for the dark head. crystal labyrinth it's yeah with tonight. Blah, blah. yeah um so they should have left the the gargoyle its, itself kind of shadowed but i actually read it's not super apparent from the uh from the Episode itself, but I read that this is based on the uh, Japanese yokai, the uh, the folklore of the Japanese uh, demon. Um, not not very apparent in this you know segment at all, but um, interesting to note nonetheless. Um, but ultimately, after that gargoyle encounter, um, our main character why um not why uh, Maddox. Preston. Preston. Or, no, yeah, I'm sorry. Preston, who's played by James Remar, who I don't know. Yes, you do. I do? Yes, you do. Who is he? Uh, you've seen Dexter, right? Mm, like the first season. So that's Dexter's dad. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, from Didn't more, really put that together. From my favorite film of all time, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. <laughs> oh, plays, okay. plays Raiden. Okay. All right. Didn't recognize, for sure. No, but that mullet, like, how young and, like, kind of, like, he's a little ripped in this. Mm, yeah, that's You know, true. like, yeah. not like, like, you know, like a toned rip, but kind of like that 90s dad bod ripped of, like, they're kind of just, like, big. Yeah, chiseled. Yeah. yeah. But not, like, but they're not really, like, chiseled. They're just, like, kind of, like, urgh, mm. hulking, like, <laughs> like steroid. That's what he has, yeah. <laughs> but he's he's kind of got, like, that, he's kind of looked, like, if uh, he kind of looks like uh, if Brendan Fraser came out in the early 90s with that hair, and that's true, you know, yeah, that's true. I could see that Brendan Fraser look. I was uh, happy to see him just because it's like, ah, oh, yeah, Freemar, he hasn't done much, yeah, yeah he's has his fair share of things, but it's just kind of like everything I've ever seen him in, I'm like, oh god, why are you in this? <laughs> <laughs> um, but. After that gargoyle encounter, Preston basically uh is told don't talk, don't snitch or I'll kill you. That's right. <laughs> and you know, then he finds a woman and just randomly grabs her off the street into an alleyway and proceeds to it, tell her like Shh, it's okay, it's okay. I'm not going to rape you. you. Yeah. Even though like this is a dangerous area, and he said you shouldn't be walking alone trying to find a taxi you know on well, the crow set um <laughs> yeah, right, on <I'm> the crow <laughs> set, but uh this is uh, basically a love story, and f- the most for the most part lover's vow really doesn't have a lot of horror to it after the gargoyle disappears, it's mostly about Preston and um all the good fortune that he runs and Carola. What an awful name, too. Yeah, by Kerala, then. By the way, I I thought at first that she was saying Carolyn, but no, I it's Carola. It's Carola. It's, um, it's basically about Preston and Kerala living a fantasy life of getting together be after a near a uh, uh, near rape, basically, or near <laughs> kidnapping. And then, well, you know what she was turned on by because by the end of the night she she betting him. Oh yeah, and he's betting her. Oh know? yeah, we, that's where we get our booby shot. They're all in. They're and the bo- all in on and that. that nice blue light. Yeah, you know that a sex scene is coming because of that blue light, and then both of them, you know, that's the very stereotypical. You see one face moving forward, you see, the then other you shoot there. to the other face moving forward, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, they're getting it on. They're getting it on. It's going to be hot and heavy in this one. Um, it was so hot and heavy the next morning. She's like, I want to fuck you yeah, again. She wants to do it again. What a life for Preston. His life was failing. He gets scratched by a gargoyle and then. And you know, she's turned fine. on by it too. She's like, hey, let me rub that alcohol, robot." Yeah. Yeah, in I mean, sort of like a masochistic way. Oh, sorry. Or a sadistic way. I was thinking, like, she was like, oh, I like that because you're an artist and, like, you're so. You're such an artist. You know, you, you cut yourself because, you know, you're. Pain I was know? just thinking she liked seeing him in pain. Because <laughs> he's like going like Ooh, and she's like, oh like, yeah. Ooh,
1: that,
0: oh I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me do it again and again. Sorry. Uh yeah. Let's make sure that infection doesn't get in there. Yeah. <laughs> Sepsis. Not fun. <laughs> uh but so most of Lover's Vow is really just about Preston and Kiroa getting together. <laughs> <laughs> Carola, I don't know how to say this name. It's such a fucking weird name. Kerala doesn't Look, roll we'll just off go the down, tongue. We'll, we'll just go down for the rest of this review. The Toyota line. <laughs> Prius. Yeah. The, the name doesn't roll off the tongue. I'm sorry. Kerala. <laughs> um, it's about them getting together and just, you know, starting a family. And they, they end up having two he kids. Gets, uh, say he fi- she is able to introduce him to like the most revered like um, gallery owner in the city. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then then she's pregnant all of a sudden, which all the timeline on this is very skewed. How long does it take for him to like, for his art to start selling and they're together and all of a sudden she's pregnant and they're going to get married. Yeah. You don't really get that idea of time. Like everything feels like it's three days. Yeah, It's like blended together. But yeah, eventually she becomes pregnant, and he's just like, "Which if, and I say, which like, if it is three days, I hate to tell it to you. It's not how that works." Yeah, and then he's like. I, I really like his line. Are we going to make this bastard legitimate? It's <laughs> <laughs> like the first thing that he says, he's like, let me rephrase. Uh, will you marry me? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, most of the time, women you know, don't really she, find. Oh, absolutely loves it. Let's make this bastard. Yeah. Le- yeah, nice women shotgun, don't really find that uh, romantic. Nice shotgun think. wedding, you know. Yeah. Let's make this bastard legitimate. Yeah. Um, well, I hate to tell you, James, but um, seeing as you uh, – Impregnated her out of wedlock. It's still a bastard. Still a bastard. Yep. No, no doubts about that. Um, you know what this this segment? Um, I think it runs a little long with that romance towards the end when it starts to get back to the gargoyle thing. And, it, and ten and, years later, and, yeah, the the inevitable happens. Basically, that you you know what's coming. This, this is, asshole can't keep a secret. Yeah. There's no. I mean, I think that if you're not thinking that care. Carola. <laughs> I'll call her Carola. Uh, Carola, I have to think about the name now. It's just fucking weird. Um, if you're not thinking Carola is the gargoyle, then, like, something's wrong with you. You know, because that's literally the only two characters in the film. You have... What a sick, sadistic bastard that gargoyle is. I killed someone, lopped their head off, and now I'm going to transmute into a human and, you know, let them take me. Yeah, was it love at Live this it fake first sight? life for ten years. Was it love at first sight? Do you think for the gargoyle? He's like, oh. The gargoyle is like scratching his chest and is like, you know mm. what? I actually like him. He's like, mm. shit. Yeah, it's weird. Like the whole, the segment just doesn't like mesh together very well. And nothing really makes sense. There's no rhyme or reason to the fact, like, why the gargoyle needs uh, him to keep it a secret. I mean, it, it, maybe if that's like the ingrained you know, folklore of this demon, then yeah, but there's nothing to tell us that. So, like, at the end, she's just like, you broke your vow. I'm going to now. I I have to murder. And he's just like, OK, I mean, I get it. I almost feel I like though by the end when she transmutes back into a gargoyle, that's not the same gargoyle that killed because. It looks different and sounds like her. I guess, yeah. So maybe maybe. it was like her gargoyle brother that like maybe, and she was just, yeah. I guess, I guess you could say that. Maybe, maybe that's what they meant by that. I don't know. I just felt like, I mean, the the ending doesn't really make sense because you're not given any of the rules of this gargoyle. You don't know, you know, what's why, you know, why keep it a secret? Why if she loves this guy, does she have to kill him? It just doesn't make much sense. What I do love though. Are the little baby gargoyles? <laughs> those are great. Looks like that um, dinosaur show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the yeah dinosaurs or whatever Wait, was that, is that what it was called? Yeah, I think so. It was all that also. i the CBS. baby. Yeah, yeah. Kick the baby. Yeah, uh, it does look like that. Yeah, but one thing that KNB did do well was the transformation scene. I think they did that pretty well. Nice body horror. Yeah, with the ripping off of all the things, the, the knees shooting through, mm-hmm. stuff like that. They did a really good job with yeah, that. Yeah, that's like nice body horror. That's uh, a little Cronenberg-esque. Yeah, it's like they took the howling, you know, with the, the howling changing, ripping skin off and stuff, and they kind of went a step further with the 90s and, and made it into, the, you know, a, a gargoyle. But I, I think they did a really good job with that one. That's probably the best effect in this film um, is getting that gargoyle change. Um, you know, with that said, other than that, I don't think that, um, lover's vow is a, is a great segment for this movie. Um, a little bit too much flat storytelling and not enough horror within it because you have long periods of time where there's just not really anything going on. It does come across, um, it's like kind of like a low rent twilight zone episode. Kind of. Yeah. Not like, uh, not on like the gargoyle premise, but like the kind of like how it's more focused on the characters than like the actual kind of spooky aspects. Right. Yeah. Um, you could kind of replace it with like a twilight zone episode, but instead of making it gargoyles, making something a little bit more grounded. Hmm. Yeah. And the, yeah. And then, and then the, the whole thing being at the end is like the morals, you know, keep your promises, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I can see that. I just felt like uh, it kind of squandered some of the the coolness of the gargoyles. Like, you know, we wouldn't want to see them again. Morphing, things like that. K&B did such a good job with that that it seems like they wasted some time not having gargoyles in the film. And then the other thing is that, like I said, we don't really have much of an understanding of these gargoyles. So, like, when they go back and turn into stone, like, is that because... He broke the problem. he broke the vow. Like, we don't really know anything about it. So... Yes, you can kind of infer from that, but I just feel like you need a little bit more of the folklore behind the gargoyle in order to understand exactly what the film is trying to tell you. Mm. It just doesn't go that far. I agree. Yeah. Every time I see gargoyles, all I can think of is the fe- ending of the one feature out in one episode where they're just sitting there going, Louis. bon oui. Bon I don't think I know that one. I don't, I don't I think i I can't remember what one. the episode is, but it just like ends and like you see gargoyles sitting on top of like a legend. and they're like, ah. Bon uh, <laughs> you bon know what? M- though? I think it, I think it might have been the Halloween episode. For uh, could be. You know what though? Gargoyles are pretty underrepresented in horror. How dare you? They had their own Disney Channel show. Yeah, <laughs> they did, and a uh, Sega Genesis video game. I thought for a second you were going to say, and it sucked. I was going to be like, how dare you? No, I didn't watch enough Gargoyles. How to did tell you, you that not? It sucked. I had some action figures, and I had the Sega Genesis game. I can't. I don't know about the the show though. Well, you should watch it. You'd probably like it. It's actually kind of adult. The Genesis game is hard as hell. As most of them were, but... Um, Never could be a Comic Zone. No, that was a hard <laughs> game. I don't think I could beat it now. Get one life. Fucking hard. Go. <laughs> um, all right, so out of the three, which one is your favorite? It ranks literally in the rank and file of how they one, were... One, two, three. Yes, how they were uh, showed to us. It'd be lot 249, Hellcat, and then this. I think I absolutely agree. I think that's maybe why they went with one, two, three in the order that they did. You know, I'm starting to notice after watching all these, it's usually like the last one that's kind of the weakest one. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, you know, always. You're already here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've got you now. You're not going to leave with 20 minutes left. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Um,. I agree. One, two, three, right, right through, is the the order that I would put them in as well. Um, I think what basically the one that shines the most is K and B. I think their effects are probably the best part of Tales from the Dark Side, and probably the sole reason why, like I said, why this is even a movie. Because yeah. if you don't have those effects, these are nothing more than. The B list episodes, the the B list episodes that weren't good enough to be, you know, put into the season. Like they were filmed, they were put in the can. Guess what? Don't need them. You know, got some uh, other things to run. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that the first episode would be a very good episode of the series, and then the other two, eh, they'd be, you know, the if this was your sole in- intro, like this, like as this is my sole intro to Tales from the Dark, so I can tell you right now, from watching this film, does not make me want to watch the TV series. It would make me go, no, thank you. Maybe catch like the highlights. Mm. Well, I can see that. I can see that. You you would just not be well if, enthused to if go, you were to take a step back because you've said you've already said you've had experience with mm-hmm. the series. But if say if this was your first go with the series, would after watching this movie would you say I gotta w- tune in on Thursday nights at eight o'clock to watch this? Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Yeah. All right. So we gotta rate this film on a scale of ten. Of ten. Yeah. Oh, I thought you had something. I no. Thought you were gonna, I thought you were going to give me something. No, no, no. We, we could do uh, t- 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 10 hearts of glass. Really? See, I was thinking more what was appropriate because Debbie and Harry being in it. It was just like... And she's, like, maybe like running around chasing the kids, like, in a Benny Hill type mode. Like, have it set to, like, one way, <laughs> another, to another, <laughs> you know. Yeah, they didn't even throw any of those things in there. Well, they, no, because they'd have to pay her extra. That's true. And they didn't want to have to pay royalties on top of actually yeah. paying her as an actress, right? um No, I would say, let's see, on a scale of uh, one to ten. Christian Slater sweaters. Or... Whatever that fucking jacket was that, uh, oh, that, that James that Raymer was James wearing. Raymer was wearing. I don't know what that thing is, but it's like hearts on a on a bomber jacket. <laughs> Something well, he designed he's wearing himself. Nice knickers and like a tie and oh it's like the You're right. Yeah, no, that is very a very distracting garb he's wearing. Yeah. That you know, bomber jacket with uh, all the ornate, you know Yeah, sewed on patches that he's got going on. We'll do that. We'll do, out out of ten ornate bomber jackets, what would you <laughs> give Tales from the Dark Side the movie? I'd give it probably a six out of ten. Um it's very much just uh, meh. here's the anthology. There's nothing special about it. nothing about this film that I would say is really stand out. I think I do think the effects for the time are pretty good, especially at the end with the gargoyle uh, and the body horror type aspect of the transformation. It looks pretty good, but for the most part, all like a lot of the things are tame, like with the whole mummy and stuff. We all the stuff's kind of off screen. Same thing with the second story; a lot of it's just off screen, and it's just more like here's some blood smatterings. Um, The first story is definitely lot two forty nine is easily the best story. It's got the best cast, best acting, best overall plot, best pacing, and then everything else is very hit and miss. Um, I would say I would only recommend this to fans of the series. Or people who just have a curiosity to see, you know, like a young Steve Buscemi or something, mm-hmm. or a young James Raymar. Because mm-hmm. other than that, there's really like, if this were like, as Tom Savini jokingly kind of said, like, oh, it's like Creep Show, this would be Creep Show 3, then obviously, yeah, you know what, you're right, because it's like in horror films, the trend from the beginning to your sequels, totally downhill. Mm-hmm. And this would be your Creep Show 3, you know, the low budgeted bastard version. I, I think point. we did get a, end up getting a creep show three. I haven't seen it, but I think that was the low budget <laughs> bastard version. Yeah, but um, I, I, I would agree. I probably, I guess, I would give this like a six point five. I'm giving it the uh, benefit of the doubt because of K and B effects. Um, I think it's an okay f- anthology film. I think it does, you know, have three stories that are are mediocre. Sometimes lot two forty nine being the best of them. I think. The thing that really kind of bugs me about it is that the the stories are really straightforward. They're just like, here's this. We're setting it in motion, and there's really no like twist or anything to any of these stories. You know, like Creep Show might have, or or Tales from the Crypt even, uh, where there's a a twist at the end that you're not really expecting, or um, sort of like. Comically tongue-in-cheek. Uh, none of these stories have that. They're really just straightforward. Yes, the cat is evil. Um, yes, the mummy is coming to kill you. Um, yes, there's gargoyles. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And and so I think like they just lost an opportunity to go a, little, a step further with those stories and make them something a little bit more. Um, so you know, in that sense, the themes aren't really that great. Um, I think that the effects work is pretty good. We do have quite a few people who would go on to have great careers like Julianne Moore, Steve Buscemi. Uh, they all do a pretty good job. And, um, you know, I think that this is a good attempt. And like Tales from the Dark Side, the TV series, um, it's just it it falls short of being great like some of the other anthologies that we've witnessed previously, like Creepshow and uh, even Tales from the Crypt, both the movie and the series. Um, it just doesn't hit those heights, but it, it certainly gives it an attempt and it has a lot of the, uh, you know, the ideas that it needs, uh, it adapts a Stephen King story. You got George Romero as a uh, part of the writing process here. Um, it just doesn't go far enough. I think I, I will say though, I will give a credit though, because if this is any, um, inclination of what the TV show is like. Then congrats for being kind of true to the IP, where Spielberg mm-hmm. just shat on mm-hmm. Twilight Zone. Yeah, yeah. It, it, at least this one feels like a Tales from the Dark Side TV show. And that, like I said, that's probably for me the biggest problem. Like this comes off as just a big budgeted TV movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty similar. I mean, it's it's right there. So I can I can see that. So what do we got next? Uh, next we and I have to think about this now because we I can't have, remember because we're doing honestly we have um I think we're moving for, into the 2000s and we got two for and I them. think we got two, um so I have to look and see I I think I know what's coming next, um and it's one that we've wanted to do for quite a while I think if I'm remembering correctly and I'm pretty sure I am we got two weeks left is that right um three weeks huh we got three three till Halloween. I'm actually not sure, um it's either two or three. I can't remember. um, I thought we were doing two for the two thousand two, but maybe we no? no, we got to do more after this uh so. two more you're oh, right. okay, so we're not doing the other one that I thought we were doing, yeah, I guess not so we're so we're we're moving into sorry, folks, no v h s what's that no v h s no, no, I don't think we're we're not gonna get to that. We're gonna have to do at Halloween part two at some point, yeah, ten years later, and do that, you know. Something like that, but I've always uh, wanted to watch it just because it's been on Netflix for like since the dawning of Netflix. There are so and many. I've just been kind of, and I've just been kind of like, why is this always popping up on like my suggestion? There are so many anthology movies. I mean, it's just just a lot. I think um, you know we will definitely revisit anthology films because there's a lot that we didn't cover. I mean, talking about cats, we didn't do Cat's Eye. Cat's Eye is a Stephen King uh, film about various Stephen King stories all based around a cat. So there are just so many anthologies that we didn't cover. So we'll obviously be doing Anthology Part 2 at some point. But, uh, you know, for now, the next one is a pretty popular film, anthology film from the 2000s that we really wanted to do. And we'll leave it at that. That Ryan wanted to do. That's right. It's trick or treat. (laughs) I said we'll leave it at that. Well, the the cat is out. Of honestly, the head. you know what? No, you might as well not hide it because this is a film that's been like talked about since day one. That's true. That's true. It'll be a fun uh, fun one to do. I think you know we'll have a blast. I honestly, literally thought it was <clears throat> excuse me thought it was like a uh twenty tens film. I didn't know it was like that old. Yeah, it's like uh, two thousand seven, I think, or something like that. But then I think about it, Krampus is actually kind of getting up there in age. Yeah, two now. that was like twenty ten or something like that. Yeah, so, so yeah, so we're yeah we're. It's kind of interesting how time flies, but yeah. So trick or treat next week, and then uh, we got one more week to go, and we'll we'll do one more anthology series that's in the 2010s. Um, and that one is actually another one set around actually around Halloween. So just just another hint for you. Um, thanks for listening. We are um on pretty much every podcasting app that you can think of. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Podbean. So anywhere that you can listen to us, please subscribe and leave us a nice review. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. We're on Twitter at Blood and Black Rum. Uh, We have an email address at blood and black rum podcast at gmail.com. And of course, we have a Patreon page where you can donate to us and help us keep the podcast running. It's Patreon.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. And there are a few uh, treats for you if you uh, hit certain levels of the uh, donation station. So uh, definitely keep that in mind. Help us out if you can, and we really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to our Halloween series. We will be back with our sixth episode in the series, which is Trick or Treat, next week. So continue to listen to us. Take care.